0: 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing By the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Beware the fear of missing out. Um, Unless you're a Queenslander, probably never even heard of an Albie. Did you ever hear of an Albie before you came to Queensland? No, no. No. But about five or six years ago, the company that produces the Alvey fishing reels pretty much indicated that they were going to um, close up shop and cease production. Now, I didn't know this, but we went on holidays only a couple of weeks after that announcement was made. And as I went away on holidays, I I was wanting to buy a new rod and reel. And being a Queenslander, I wanted an Alvey fishing reel. And so I go into the fishing shop and I say, looked at rods and i said Are you going albi reels and he said you've got to be joking haven't you i said oh why and he told me about this announcement that had been made and and see what had happened was as soon as the announcement was made that the fear of missing out kicked in sales of albi reels just went through the roof and I think it was probably all the grandpas wanting to make sure that, that they, they'd have an be real to be able to give their grandchildren as, as a rite of passage to learn how to fish like a Queenslander fishes. Me, I just needed one. But I also had a fear of missing out, so I ordered two. Um, but of course it took more than six months for them to arrive, and by then my one week holiday was well and truly over. But just as well though, because Albi fishing reels have become a thing of the past, right? Wrong. Somebody else bought the company out and five years later they're still in production and readily available. Fear of missing out though, it's pretty much what drives the profits of many marketing schemes and get-rich-quick schemes and scams. Be quick, this is a one-time offer, this offer's only on the table for today and tomorrow it'll be too late. And the fear of missing out, it's a a powerful thing. Today's topic, we're talking about end times. And we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. And we mightn't realize this because because we're talking about end times. It seems a lot of the end time stuff comes at the end of our Bibles. And and Thessalonians is found pretty close towards the end of of the New Testament. We mightn't realise this, but Thessalonians is some of the earliest of the New Testament writings there are. It was written much earlier than the Gospels. Um, And and so it's sort of a time when when they were still nailing down um, what we now consider to be the basic tenets of the Gospel, well-known things. But it seems that for the Thessalonian church, they had a real fear that they were going to miss out on the return of Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians, it seemed like they were afraid that, that those who had already died were going to miss out on the return of Jesus. And so the teaching that he is giving was, hey, you don't have to worry about that because the resurrection's going to happen first. First of all, the dead will be raised and then those who are still living will be gathered together with them up in the sky to, to glory in, in the return of Christ. But now it seems that they're worrying, well, what if Jesus has already come and we missed it? Maybe, maybe they took the Jesus is coming unexpectedly like a thief in the night illustration a little bit too far. Or maybe somebody was teaching that Jesus is, has already spiritually returned or something. I, I don't know. We don't know. But they were worried that somehow they might have missed out on the coming of Jesus. Now, false worry, false beliefs take root in a church through various means. Misinformation comes in through false witness, through false prophecy, and through false teaching. And Paul is saying to this church, let no one deceive you in any way. And he gives examples, either by a spirit, or by a spoken word, or by a letter seeming to have come from us. Right? Misinformation. It, it can come into a church through writings, so these days, think internet, think text messages, think online group discussions, think popular Christian books that churn out all sorts of strange ideas. It can come in through spoken words. Um, we're told that at, towards the end of time that, that people will gather for themselves a great heap of teachers that'll tell them whatever their inching ears want to hear. But even even beyond that, Sometimes what gets presented by somebody as a theory or as a bit of a thought bubble might get picked up by the next person and go, oh, you know what, this is true. Um, And so spoken words can put us onto the wrong track. And it can come in through what Paul calls a spirit. Now, in other words, some kind of counterfeit spiritual gift. So then some of the spiritual gifts where God does speak is through the word of knowledge and through the gift of prophecy. Um, And yet, and that's probably the most common one for us to be wary of is is false prophets. We're told to guard against false prophets all the time. Don't, Don't ever discount prophecy because we're told that it is a gift from God, but we are to test everything. And if a prophet, somebody who claims to be a prophet speaks a word, if that word doesn't come true, well, that person's a false prophet, don't listen to them. Anyway, however the misinformation came into that church, it was misinformation nevertheless. The day of the Lord had not come and gone without them noticing. And Paul reminds them that it couldn't have come yet um, because there was something else that had to happen before the day of the Lord and the return of Jesus. And he refers to this event as the rebellion and the revealing Of the man of lawlessness, and then after that Jesus returns. Now, the thing which isn't clear to us is: is that concurrent events? Are they things that are they things that happen at the same time, or are they things that happen one after the other? The rebellion and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. And we don't really know. Now, as we read this, we're going to realize that the man of lawlessness is another name for Antichrist, or the first beast of the revelation. Before Jesus returns, there will be a rebellion. Um, Apostasia is the Greek word. It, It describes rebellion in the form of political revolt, but it also means a departure from the faith. So at the end of the age, it appears that there's going to be a worldwide rebellion against divine authority it could be a combination of rebellion against political rulers that god has appointed but it will certainly include religious apostasy a rejection of god a rejection of his gospel and people who claim to be godly will be perverting the faith and the man of lawlessness will be revealed now, in the, in the letters that John wrote, John describes this person as Antichrist. And that, that's a really good description because the, the lawless man, the Antichrist, he mimics Christ in a vile way. And so we find that the return of Jesus is described as the coming or the parousia. And the man of lawlessness, he also has his coming, his parousia. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. That's the apocalypsis. And the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Same word. Only he's not from heaven. He's the son of destruction. He's the one who opposes God in heaven. The gospel of Jesus is described as a mystery, a mysterion. And we see here the mystery of lawlessness already at work. Jesus... Is the son of God, whereas the man of lawlessness is the son of destruction or perdition. When Jesus came, he came with all spiritual power and he performed miracles and signs and wonders. And when the man of lawlessness comes, he will also perform signs and wonders, only they will be false signs and wonders performed with the power of Satan. That's why he's called Antichrist. He mimics Christ but in a vile way. Now, many people in every generation have tried to identify who Antichrist is. And many have made very confident assertions. Oh, this person's Antichrist. We know this, we know this. And um, so far, nobody's yet been proved to be right. It's just every generation, they make more predictions. And so far, one day somebody will get it right. but I think it'll be pretty obvious to to many of us when when that day actually comes. But this is what we learn. At the end of time, a powerful man will arise. He will oppose not just the one true God, but all religion and even all things that, that are used as sacred objects of worship. And he will set himself up as the one to be worshiped. And he'll deceive many people. Now, with us, in our 21st century Western way of thinking, we say, how could that be? How could anyone do that? But but we've seen this before. Nebuchadnezzar, he built a gold statue and he said, you have to worship me. And if you don't, you get thrown in the fiery furnace. And of course, there was some of God's people who said, well, we're not going to worship you. And yep, they were thrown in the fiery furnace and God rescued them. Nebuchadnezzar, once again, looked at all of his kingdom. He said, I've done this. Mine is the power. Mine is the kingdom. Mine is the glory. And God sent him mad. For years, he wandered the fields and he ate grass like a cow until finally he lifted his eyes to heaven and presumably repented and he was restored again belshazzar he mocked god because all of the 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 plates and the cups and whatnot from the temple items that were used for were sacred for the for the um, service of god he used them for his own service he started eating his own meal off of these things that were sacred for god and he died that night darius made a decree You cannot pray to anyone but me. And Daniel stood against it. Daniel prayed to God and thrown into the lion's den. Once again, God rescued him. Now, that's a few Old Testament examples. And you think, yeah, but we don't think like that anymore. But let's come a little bit further forward. Let's come into the Roman Empire. Emperor worship became a thing. Roman emperors deified themselves. That means they claimed to be gods. And it became it became a rule that everyone had to worship the emperor. Only the Jews didn't. They were given a particular dispensation where, okay, we're going to have to kill every Jew because nobody's going to worship emperor. And so they were given an exception. But Christians weren't given that exception. But even so, Christians wouldn't worship the emperor. And so... They were persecuted and executed. But you might say to them, but that's still the ancient people. That's still the ancients. Well, even in more modern history, totalitarian rulers take for themselves absolute power and absolute authority, and they demand such loyalty that in, in fact, they receive worship from their subjects. In Nazi Germany, Images of Hitler were posted everywhere. And whenever you met another person in Germany, it was law that you had to greet them with the salute and say, Hail Hitler. And then when you parted company again, you had to do the same thing. In church, you were required to say, Hail Hitler. Worship. In many communist revolutions, so for example, China and Russia and and pretty much all of them really, Christianity and in fact all religion was despised and forbidden. And in China today, Xi Jinping is coming down harder and harder on Christian churches. And the crosses in some districts are being removed from the churches and instead of the cross you can have a picture of Xi Jinping. And they're changing the the things that that you're allowed to do in religion, and so the state-sanctioned churches, you're starting to get taught more and more about the values of the communist state than you are about loyalty to God. In North Korea today, the supreme leader, leader Kim Jong-un, is worshipped by the population, they adore him. He is, the one, he is their provider. He is the one who gives them everything. He provides everything for them. He is worshiped. And this might seem really strange to us who live in a liberal society, but throughout the world, in just about any totalitarian regime, what you'll notice, you'll you see photos and images of their ruler plastered everywhere in the streets and in the buildings. An allegiance that is paid to that ruler is akin to worship and it is demanded and, and, it, and that's how they keep control. And so to us, this might seem really far-fetched but it is not far-fetched. It's a reality. It's been a historical reality and it is a present reality. But there will come a time when a worldwide dominant popular figure will rise up and he will oppose God. And it seems like he will oppose all religion and the worship of this leader will become the new religion. Now, Paul tells us that the mystery of this lawlessness is already at work. There is something though which is continuing to restrain this lawlessness. But there will come a time when that restraint will be taken away. But what is lawlessness? Well, it's not only breaking the law, it's failure to recognise law. And it's failure to recognise the authority of the law or of the lawgiver himself and, and this can take place in an ethical and religious type sense but it can also take place in, in a societal and jurisdictional sense and and we've seen both of these at work today increasingly so Paul says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and it is and it's getting worse and worse we're coming out of an age which was known as Christendom. That's where our society general generally was sort of based on the Christian faith. Our Western civilization was founded on Christian values. But it's become quite obvious that over the last couple of decades, um, there has been a concerted systematic de Christianisation at work within our society. Murder of innocent children is now called a woman's choice. Denying of one's own gender and deciding, I I was born as a boy, but I I think I'm actually a girl. That sort of nonsense is protected by law. Same-sex marriage, it's not only allowed, it's celebrated. Same-sex couples are given access to, to adoption and to IVF treatment so that they can have children. In some cases, it's illegal to publicly quote scripture if it makes a person feel like they might be being vilified. The sick and the elderly can now be killed at their choice and doctors and nurses who refuse to take part in euthanasia can face losing their jobs and being deregistered. Now, why has all of this sort of stuff, come into our society and it's come in so quickly. I'll tell you how this has happened. It's because this is what the populace want. It might, this sort of stuff might make us feel sick in the guts, but this is what many, many people want. Largely, our generation have turned their backs on God and they don't even recognise the validity of God's law. Who is this God of yours that, that I should be obeying him? Well, why should he be the one who determines for me what's right and wrong today? You see, for most people, it's not about breaking the law. They don't even recognise God's law because they don't recognise the lawgiver. That is lawlessness in an ethical or, or religious sense. But now we're seeing a new phenomenon. Lawlessness is increasing and today societal law in a judicial sense is not only being broken, it's not recognised. Children say to their parents, you're not the boss of me. I don't have to do what you say. The parent says of their teenager, "I I don't know what's wrong with him. I cannot control him. He doesn't listen to anything I say. The child recognises no authority in the teacher and just goes and does whatever they want. And there once was a time when all people had respect for the police. I don't know about you, but whenever I get pulled up by a police, yes, sir, no, sir. um, It's just natural, natural, but not anymore. And we can see this at work in our own town. There there are some folk and even children who openly flaunt at the, the... authority of the police, because they know there's nothing they can do to them. Lawlessness is on the rise. There is an active social and political movement heading us towards lawlessness. In the United States, uh, people of wokeness have been calling to defund the police, and of course they're wanting to remove the powers of the police. And pretty much in, in every jurisdiction where this has happened, violence, crime, murder, and mayhem have been the result, and increasingly so. What a surprise. Remove, remove the police, remove the ones who are restraining crime, and all of a sudden, crime goes up. And usually, it, it's, it's the least privileged suburbs that are hurt and suffer the most, lawlessness. And even today in Australia, the so-called sovereign citizens have been saying, we don't recognise any authority of, our, of the Commonwealth of Australia, therefore we don't have to obey its laws. Lawlessness. And even people who claim to be Christians today have been saying, I don't have to obey the law because they don't have authority over me. Lawlessness. Now, when a society descends into lawlessness that society becomes ripe for a new movement for a new leader they are ripe for somebody who's going to bring a new hope and a new stability and answer all of the things and so will enter the man of lawlessness Antichrist he'll be the son of destruction Now, does that mean he's born from destruction Or doomed to destruction we don't know probably both but he's described like this the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God now When I was preparing for today's message, I felt really inadequate. And standing, standing before you today, I still feel really inadequate because I cannot give you all the answers today. And I think that pretty much every commentary that I read all said, this is one of the most difficult passages in the whole of the New Testament to interpret. And the reason it's difficult to interpret is because it doesn't supply us with all the answers. And so when the man of lawlessness takes his seat in the temple of God, does that mean that he will literally sit in the temple at Jerusalem? If so, um, that was a possibility when it was written, but it's a bit of trouble for that now because the temple's not there anymore and so we'll have to wait for the temple to be rebuilt. Or is this apocalyptic literature? And apocalyptic literature paints pictures for us to help describe to us what an event is going to be like and so will antichrist be like antiochus epiphanes who who did set up a statue of zeus in the jewish temple in 167 bc and that was a horrid time or will antichrist be able to achieve what the emperor gaius also known as Caligula, he attempted to set up his own statue in the temple but he never achieved it because he ended up dying before he got it done. Or is it reminiscent of 70 AD when the Roman legionnaires set up their standards in the temple court as the temple was burned? Or could it be about the building of a mosque on top of the holy hill where the temple once stood? Or is it a spiritual thing? If as Ephesians chapter 2 says, the Christian church is the temple of God, does Antichrist take a prominent place in the church? The thing is, we don't know. We don't know. Our problem is that Paul's speaking to the Thessalonians and he says to them, you know what I'm talking about because I told you this when I was with you, right? So he'd talked about this with them when he was with them previously, but so he doesn't fill in the gaps, And we're left with gaps that we don't know. Righto. So if the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, why hasn't the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, already come? What's what's holding him back? Verse 6. And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the lord jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming when antichrist comes forget about the hollywood blockbusters There isn't going to be a few brave heroes who go into battle against Antichrist to save the world. Neither is it the duty of Christians to stand up and fight Antichrist and try and stop his coming. Our job is to remain faithful to Jesus. Jesus is the one who will kill the man of lawlessness simply with the breath of his mouth. Jesus will just say a word and Antichrist will be dead and all of his evil amounts to nothing when Jesus returns. What a a great hope we have, hey? What a great confidence that we have going into the future as this age draws to an end and the day of the Lord comes. As disciples of Jesus, we have nothing to be afraid of. God is in complete control. Even when Antichrist appears, all it's going to take is a word from Jesus, the breath of his mouth, and it's all dealt with. But what is restraining him now? Is it something or is it someone? In verse 6, it says, I know what, sorry, we, we know what is restraining him. Verse 7 says, He who now restrains it will all do so until he is out of the way. Is it a thing or a person that is restraining the lawless one? Well, I think it's both. Ultimately, it's God. It is God who is doing the restraining. God is a person. It is on God's timeline that the lawless one will be revealed. God is holding lawlessness back. God is giving an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. But even so, God is hardly the one who's going to be taken out of the way. What or who is he referring to that is restraining the lawless one? Well, it could be a spiritual thing. It could be a, a big angel restraining Antichrist. But right from the time of the early church, it's been understood like this. And we find this teaching in some of the writings of Tertullian. I think he's around about 300 AD. How does God restrain lawlessness today? Romans chapter 13 tells us that God has appointed governing authorities as his agents, as his servants, to keep law and order. And those who resist the authorities are resisting what God has appointed and will receive judgment. As Paul says, our rulers do not bear the sword for nothing. Have you ever thought of God restraining lawlessness in this way through our civil authorities? Now if you think about when a time of disaster comes and a government becomes ineffective and they're not able to administer this law and order properly, what happens? Looters, rapists, but essentially what happens is the most powerful and the most evil do whatever they like. They do what they cannot normally do because there is normally a higher power, the state, Who will act with the authority that they've been given by God to restrain lawlessness. And even from the time of the early church, they could see that the laws of Rome, whilst in later time Rome began persecuting Christians, but it was also allowed the gospel to go forth in ways that it couldn't have without it. Numerous times, Paul would find himself caught up in a lynch mob and they're ready to kill him and what would happen? Who would step in to save him? Several times, it was the Roman authorities. They would come in to his rescue. And so, looking at it from this perspective, the thing that is holding lawlessness back is the governing authorities. And our governing authorities personified in a person. In Thessalonica, it would have been personified in the the emperor. Um, For us, we have people who are responsible for law and order. And so we know that God has appointed rulers. God has appointed governing authorities to restrain lawlessness. And maybe it's these same governing authorities and in their restraint, are making it such that it's not yet the right time for Antichrist to come. Now, I'm going to be really clear here and say that's, that's probably the most common interpretation, but it's so open, it could well be something else. Anyway, there will come a time when God takes the restraint off. I suspect we might already be seeing this happening now. There once was a time when when an election platform of law and order and tough prison sentences, that was a sure and certain vote winner. Not so much anymore. What do we hear politicians campaigning on today? Defund the police, decriminalise drugs, legalise prostitution. We no longer have a penal system A penal system, its role was to punish the wrongdoer. We now have a correction system. We don't punish, we correct. The the restraints are coming off. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. When it comes to spiritual gifts... And miracles and signs and wonders. They can be done either by the power of God or by the power of Satan. So for example, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he said to Moses, here's a sign. You can show them that you've come from me by doing this. Throw your stick down on the ground and it'll turn into a snake. He does that before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, we can do that too. Calls in his magicians and and what they do is they throw down their sticks and they also turn into snakes using their dark arts. Same thing happened when, Pharaoh, when Moses turned the, the water into blood. Using black magic, Pharaoh's magicians could do the same thing. Um, but I just love the sense of humour that God has. When, when Moses threw his stick down and, and then the others all threw their sticks down, what happened next? Moses' snake slithers around and gobbles up all of the bad snakes. When Antichrist comes, many people will be impressed with his false signs and wonders, but not everyone. Now, here's the thing. Fair dinkum disciples of Jesus will not be at all impressed with a delusion. You know why? Why? Because we love the truth. An amazing thing here is this is an activity of Satan. It's done with satanic power and deception. But it is God who sends this strong delusion. I'm going to say it again. The coming of the man of lawlessness is an activity of Satan with satanic power and deception But it is God who sends the strong delusion. Why would he do that? Why? I mean, I I know some Christians there that got the attitude, you know, oh, this is, I can, this bloke, he's Antichrist. I I can tell you that that, that what's happening here is the work of Antichrist, and we have to stop Antichrist. You know what? You're working against God if that's ever your attitude because when Antichrist comes, it's God who sends him. Is he crazy? No, it's all part of God's plan. And this is why. It's to confirm that those who reject Jesus do so because they refuse to love the truth. They don't reject Jesus because they haven't had opportunity to hear about him. They, They haven't rejected Jesus simply because they've been too busy doing other important things they don't reject Jesus because they've had some kind of disadvantaged upbringing or even because they were born in the wrong country it's because they refuse to love truth because Christ comes and and the truth of the gospel and that's there for us to hear I don't want to hear that but when Antichrist comes, they, they hear it and they're deluded and they see it and go, oh yeah, on board with that. Now, I've noticed over the years that a lot of people's hang-ups about God and about who he is and about what he does and the way he does things, and oh, I can't see why God would do something like that, but you could, it can all be boiled down to them not Recognizing the sovereignty of God. God is Lord. God is Master. God is Supreme. There is no one higher. What God says is. And throughout the scripture, at times, in God's sovereignty, He chooses to use the ungodly for His purposes. The Roman authorities they were ungodly they persecuted Christians but God appointed them to uphold law and order and, and he used this ungodly institution for the advance of the gospel but not only this God sends them a strong delusion or a wicked deception he says in another spot so that they may believe what's false Why would God do that? In 1 Kings, God was going to punish the wicked king Ahab. How? Now put a lying spirit into the mouths of all of Ahab's prophets to entice him. Yes, Ahab, you'll win a battle. Mm, Yep, you're going to win the battle. What about you, prophet? Oh, yes, you'll win the battle. A lying spirit sent by God to entice him. But there was one prophet, the prophet Micaiah. And Ahab knew that this prophet always spoke the truth. (laughs) I don't want to hear what he has to say, though. You see, and when he heard Micaiah, I think he knew what the truth was, but it wasn't the truth that he wanted to hear. And so he rejected the truth and he believed the lies of the deceiving prophets. And he went into battle and he died in the battle now the same thing is going on here the day of judgment is coming today this day we have opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel of the lord jesus christ it's an opportunity to repent of sin it's an opportunity to believe in the lord jesus christ it's an opportunity to be born again We leave sin behind. We leave unrighteousness behind. And we live anew in him. Forgiven, washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus. This is the truth. And this is the opportunity we have to believe today. But through Antichrist, those who have already rejected the truth And have pleasure in unrighteousness, they will be deluded and condemned. See, as Christians, we have nothing to fear of Antichrist. If we love the truth, what is truth? Jesus is truth. If we love the true Christ, and if we follow the true Christ, if we commit our lives to the full Christ, to the true Christ, we will not be deluded by the lawless one. And those who take pleasure in unrighteousness are one and the same as those who embrace lawlessness, believed misinformation being deluded because they don't love the truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are truth. We love you, Lord, and we love your truth. Lord, guard us against falling into lawlessness. Let us never be deluded. And we pray today for the many in this world who do not yet know you and haven't believed the truth because they still take pleasure in unrighteousness. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would draw them to yourself, that they would hear the truth, that they would know the truth, that they would believe the truth and be saved. And Lord, may we love your truth so much that that we would proclaim your name to all who would listen and even to all who would not listen, so that everyone would have the opportunity to hear and be saved. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.